Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Cobblers Catch Up, a handy summary of the week's news from Sixfields. And a look ahead to Saturday's match at home to Rochdale. Can't be asked to keep up with the latest from the Cobblers or just like a Northampton Town natter. Don't worry, we've got you covered. I'm Tom Reed, and tonight I'm joined by Wallach regulars James Avril, Max Miller and Luke Fode. Let's crack on uh, talking about, we'll just talk about the postponement of the match at uh, Warsaw. I thought it was a little bit interesting, obviously due to the, the death of the Queen. Um, the game's been rearranged to Tuesday the 4th of October, kick-off 7.45. If you've got tickets, they still count. Um, James, did you understand the hoo-ha from certain fans who were unhappy that the game was postponed whenever sports went ahead or do you think that was overblown and it was you know just par for the course with this sort of thing I think it's par well it's difficult to say par for the course because we've never really experienced anything like this in in our lives I think considering the occasion uh it probably was the right decision I think it probably goes against what you would class as a, a period of national mourning so I think once the news was announced um it was it was you know probably going to be very likely so i'd kind of already come come to kind of the conclusion that that was what was going to happen and it probably did feel appropriate given the kind of closeness to the event i think it was probably the right decision to crack on with the tuesday games though and and certainly the the ones uh this weekend as well um but uh yeah obviously you know it's a huge kind of moment in in history isn't it and it it probably warranted i think that that decision being made although you can understand you know frustrations in terms of people booking things uh hotels you know travel etc to games but um it's not something that's you know gonna happen uh every every week or so um so yeah i could kind of understand why they made the decision they did yeah i think some of the frustration was certain other sports went ahead and it was sort of deemed a classist thing whereas football fans that you know have to essentially um be part of a postponement but you know it's i quite enjoyed the the weekend off actually i'm just i'm kind of of the mind that the football game should be every once a month now i'm quite enjoying a little break in between you get you build up to it it's nice and uh nice and calm but yeah back into the swing of it won't talk about too much about that because it's yeah it's obviously quite a sad situation um let's go on to some more positive news um we'll talk to you max about the announcement that ivan tony is in the Gareth Southgate's England squad for the Nations Cup games against Germany and Italy. It's obviously a huge achievement for him and for Northampton, given he was um, born and bred here and made his debut for Cobblers at 16, Max. Yeah, I mean, that's quite the success story, isn't it? Um, you know, he's, uh, you know, he was a fantastic player. I mean, you know, it was a great 
how do you explain it? That leap of faith um, from Wild, Chris, Chris Wilder to give him a go um, and give him a run in the team. Whereas you think if he hadn't have said, right, you know, Ivan, I want to give you a start in a game or come on as a sub, you know, it's mad to think where his career hadn't have been because of Chris Wilder. I mean, it's easy for, and I think Luke had a, a, a fair few bit of debate on Twitter with a lot of Peterborough fans because um, they're claiming credit for it. But it's, you know, he came through our academy. I think he was released from Leicester's academy. We snapped him up and he's a Northampton lad, you know, born and bred. Um, and, you know, he's, he's absolutely deserved it. I mean, you can't think of any more players that have gone through a lot of hardships, you know, got released from Newcastle or sorry, sold from Newcastle. Uh, didn't quite make the grade there. And then, you know, he's he's completely made a name for himself. It's very easy for players to come out of um, premiership academies and just, um, you know, pretty much just their football careers just disappear. But, you know, fair play to him. He's had, you know, spells. I think he's had Scunthorpe, Barnsley, Wigan before settling at Peterborough. And, you know, since, and I hate to say it, despite the fact that he went to Peterborough, you know, his career's yeah. really taken off. Yeah, definitely for sure. And we did, uh, if you're, if you're, got like about 25 minutes we did a podcast myself and Jefferson Lake spoke to a guy from the Athletic about Ivan Tony and the sort of consensus was that it, it can be a huge mental knock to go to Newcastle at the age of 18 and then be deemed surplus to requirements and having to drop down to pretty unfashionable clubs and try and work your way up so that's brilliant I just think it's pretty amazing that um, a guy from Northampton is in playing you know for England in the Premier League you know grew up just down the road from me in fact him and slow tie the rapper they grew up about 10 minutes from each other so that's uh two like pretty much um world famous people coming from northampton at the same time that's um pretty cool um james did you cover um ivan was that when you were covering the herald and post was he knocking around then was that when he was coming through it was it, there were two occasions when i lost my temperament in the press box and became like reverted to fan again and the first of those was the Ivan Tony overhead kick uh, against Dagenham. He'd been kind of on the periphery that season. He played a few games, hadn't started many, but had come off the bench um, and hadn't, you know, had, had looked OK. I mean, he, I remember watching him and David Moyo uh, in, in a kind of FA Youth Cup game uh, against York City, I think it was. And we absolutely smashed them thinking these, these two look like very promising. But Tony in particular... Uh, looked like he kind of could have everything and then it didn't really quite click for him in, in the first few games and then he had a bit of kind of a spell out of out of the game but I think by that point Chris Wilder had grown impatient with Emile Sinclair I seem to remember there was a game against Portsmouth where right near the end of that season where Sinclair missed an absolute sitter and I think that I think that's probably where Wilder Wilder's patience snapped and I was actually reading an, an athletic article today where they interviewed Wilder and he said he'd been so good in training in the kind of weeks leading up to that Dagenham game that they thought we can't leave him out now you know okay it's a big risk but his performances in training had justified it and you know got that header headed goal within about 10 minutes and that just settled the nerves and then after that um, we absolutely bossed them there's obviously, of course, the Ian Morris goal that was an absolutely incredible goal and so often gets forgotten because of what uh, Ivan did in that game. But then the overhead kick just belied kind of his years and was really kind of a sneak peek into how kind of creative he was as a footballer, I think. Uh, I think he was really underrated, actually, when he was here. There were a few people going, 
Oh, I don't think it's that big a you know a big loss. Of course, you know he's he, he's good, but you know uh, yeah. he's he's not that big a loss. And I thought I couldn't believe what I was hearing. There's been yeah. there's three players that stick out in my mind for kind of like being criminally underrated by Cobblers fans, despite the fact that they were obviously a class above. Uh, one was Matt Grimes. Um, another was was Tony, uh, and Bradley Johnson was the other. Where there didn't seem to be like too much like disappointment when when he left and, and things like that and I was gutted I mean I remember getting a embargoed press release from the football club at the time saying that we'd sold him to Wolves for yeah. a club record fee yeah. and then it just didn't happen yeah. so we were all the next day we were like well what the hell's happened and apparently it fell through kind of on the medical and that and then that was I think circa about 400k we'd accepted I could be wrong I'm happy to be proved wrong on that but I thought well that's probably about the value he's worth then we sold him for 250k, you know, to Newcastle, and it was just an absolute daylight robbery, uh, you know, by Graham Carr, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, it, yeah, he, he was clearly a class above and, and destined for greater things, and it's really good to see that he bounced back. I was there in the press box when he made his debut for Newcastle, which was against us as well in, in the League Cup, got oh, yeah, yeah, a 10 minute that, cameo. Yeah. So, um, it's really good to see that he's bounced back, and the call up to England is thoroughly deserved. Well said. That's um, that's very typical of Northampton fans, though. We we've got a, a real player, and we we really like him deep down. We really like him. He's, he's one of our own, and then he gets sold for you know for not the greatest fee. So therefore, we feel a bit wounded. So like Cobblers fans are like, oh, he's not that good anyway. You know, he's you know what they do, and they've they bought a you know bought a pup there. But realistically, what you said is that is exactly right. He was playing really, you know, really well, you know, really looked like a player that was going to progress. And that's why a team from these divisions were trying to buy him, fighting to buy him. So um, pretty useful. I think it was actually, James, am I right? Is it Boothroyd that actually gave him his debut? Boothroyd gave him his debut away uh, in an FA Cup tie away at Bradford City, which we lost in extra time, I think. And then yeah. I can't remember his league debut, but like I say he, he was on the periphery. I think he played like maybe kind of like 10 or so games coming on as a sub that season. Yeah. But then it was only it was obviously those last two games where he he was kind of brought back in and really of course made the impact that we're going to remember him for forever. Sure. So it wasn't like specifically Chris Wilder's um, doing. Chris Wilder obviously saw something in him and it actually needed him at that point quite a lot to uh, try and keep us up. But yeah, um, obviously Ivan's skill shone through as it has done since he's left. Uh, Luke, you're having a bit of um, to and fro with posh fans about you know Northampton board and bread guy you're not getting enough from them are you you're worried that the rivalry has gone a bit stale i mean yeah as to be honest um growing up as a young lad uh i've always sort of been around cobblers fans at the stadium and you sort of tour you know people are rivals we hate posh nearly all of our songs are themed around how much we dislike them and it's just i don't know i, I want a bit i wish um what I really wish is that we would compete with them because I feel like if we were in League One as a standard one League One team and we actually got some wins against them, I think it'd be a lot different. But yeah, um, as you said, I was speaking, as I think Max mentioned it, I was speaking the other day, mentioning how they're trying to take credit for Ivan Tony's success and his call up to England and stuff. And I was just trying to point out that even though it probably was at Peterborough where he did the best up to that point or got the most goals or the most influence, he did achieve stuff. And actually, it's funny because he's achieved stuff at nearly every club except Peterborough. Um, <laughs> you know, he scored the goal to keep us up and to keep us in the Football League, which may not be a promotion or a trophy, but it was an achievement. He's obviously won promotions at Barnsley, Wigan and 
Brentford. He's obviously now gone on to reap the rewards of becoming an England international. But it's funny because you could really argue Scunthorpe, Peterborough and Newcastle are the only clubs he's not actually won stuff, although it's a bit of a reach, isn't it? Because he has won play of the season, League One at Peterborough. But I don't know. It's, I always feel a bit bittersweet with him because I, I still find it a bit, you know, almost salty that he went to Peterborough. And as a avid Northampton fan, he is proper into rivalries. I, I don't like the idea of a born and bred youngster going to your biggest rival, especially when, um, you know, his dad said something a couple of weeks back to talk about how it didn't. He said when he first started, it didn't matter who he played for. It was just an honour to see him represent his hometown and play professional football. And he will never forget that moment. And I, I also feel, you know, Whenever, not necessarily Ivan himself or personally, but whenever speaking to interviews or people cover the news on him, it always seems they skip the Northampton part or disregard his time here, despite it was Northampton as a club who got him through the academy and developed him as a young player. It was the club who gave him a chance in career of football by starting him in a professional league game. Yeah. And it was at here where he actually really did make a name for himself, because if he didn't make a name for himself, why would Newcastle want him? Why would he have got that move to a Premier League club at 18 years old? So, yeah. same way... Carney, Chokomanka and uh, Caleb, you know, as much as they're going to go on and achieve whatever they did, I think it's very important for players to recognise a club that gave them the foundations to go on to do whatever they achieve or whatever they level they reach at. So for me, it's a bit more, I get that we're not a massive cog in his career in terms of where he is now, but, you know, we were the club that gave him the chance to go and become an England international and go yeah. and play in the Premier League. So that's my viewpoint on it. Yeah, but he did He did do that video for Dr. Martins we put on Twitter and he came back to Northampton and he was, you know, he spoke very not well about it. And I know oh, that no. co- yeah. cobblers weren't really mentioned too much, but he did have quite a few clubs in between and that probably doesn't help with that. that, that sort oh, of no, sense. of course. Um, yeah. But I wasn't, I've, I've I, seen I, some I, fans saying, oh, you sod him because he played for Posh and sod him because he's done this and he's Billy Big Balls and stuff like that. But I just think you've got to, we've got to be... We, I know Northampton people are quite petty and I quite like that to an extent, but we've got to get over that. Get over that, that you play for a Porsche, get over it, and just look at the the beauty of him coming from Northampton, playing for England. He could be in the World Cup, played football in the same play, sort of place as we did. That's that's just brilliant, Luke. Oh, no, of course. Uh, I do not just... The thing is, this is, I've got a very hot, cold take on Ivan Tony. I, re, I appreciate everything he did at our club at the time, scoring the goals to keep us up. I appreciate, you know, we got a chance to see a youngster actually have a bit of a time at Northampton. I completely appreciate that. And even now at Brentford and um, as now an England international, I, I still admire him as a Northampton lad who made it. But it's not yeah. as easy to say, oh, put Ravri aside and all this stuff. I mean, you look at the way Arsenal treat Van Persie. You look at the way the Manchester clubs treat Tevez. There's, you can respect someone for what they've done, but it is a big deal in football to go play for your club's biggest rivals, yeah. especially when you've played yeah. for the other club. And the thing that um, I, more than the Peebra thing, actually, the thing that I still feel a bit gutted by or a bit let down by, which I know he didn't owe the club anything. And again, it's, I don't say this as a common opinion. It's just my personal opinion. He had the chance to come back to Northampton. He snubbed us for Scunthorpe and that still hurts me a bit. You know, we would have, you know, he had a chance to come back here. And again, you know, I guess he did the right decision because he look where he is now. But I just feel, yeah. you know, there's no loyalty in football anymore, I don't think. And that's my issue with football is a club can give you a chance from a young age to become a professional footballer. But, you know, there's never any real loyalty to the club, if that makes sense. So I don't yeah, but, blame him for any of his yeah. decisions. I don't blame him for what he's done as a player. If I didn't support Northampton as a player, I completely get the decisions he's made in football. You go to the highest club with the most money, the ones that are going to be most successful, and the ones that are going to make you more successful out of it, as you would do any job. But yeah. as a Cobblers fan, I am going to have a bias to Cobblers. I am going to have a 
what's it, claret tinted glasses. And I am a bit let down that he went to Peterborough and that he chose Scunthorpe over us. It doesn't mean I hate him. It doesn't mean that I do not respect him as a footballer. I just think as a Cobblers fan, I have a bit of a two-edged sword to him where I appreciate what he's done, but I also will not forget the decisions he's made against our club as a fan of Northampton, if that makes sense. Nothing against him. It's just... That makes sense. That makes sense. But at the same time, like he's he's obviously got a lot of self belief, which is right because he's that good. And yeah. when you go up to the Premier League and you're you've left Northampton, you're, you're you're trying to better yourself, and then you're and then Northampton come in for you again. It's almost like defeat going back. I, I wouldn't. I don't think I would. Yeah, exactly. I go back until I've made that I'd made that notch at the top level. And you never know. He might come back towards the tail end of his career like other people have done. So Maybe. let's give him. That's given a bit of chance, but I know exactly what you mean. I'm just getting yeah. a bit old. I'm a bit more mellow now. I probably when I was your age, I'll be like, yeah, sod him. He's of put course. the blue shirt on. But and I do I'm admit, a I, am a, I take it to the extreme when it comes to rivalry. There's not many fans out there who would care as much as I do. But when it comes to Peterborough, yeah. I, I, I've, I've been brought up with yeah. friends and family who hate Peterborough, and it's sort yeah. of passed into me. <laughs> but no, I, no, I fair, enough. fair enough. I was like, I was very much like that at your age as well. Um, let's move on to Wimbledon nil, Northampton two. It was just a really pleasing. Not necessarily performance, but the result was good and we just bossed the game where we needed to and we just did a, a very good uh, away job. Um, so <laughs> the goals are actually quite funny because officially it's a goal from Guffrey and an own goal. But I've seen um, footage of Guffrey's goal and that looks like an own goal, goal too. So technically it could be two own goals. Who cares, I guess. Guffrey's been given it officially. Um, James, it just seemed like um, a solid performance, especially after the early loss of Sean McWilliams. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I've seen that footage as well. Would that make own goal our second top scorer? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's early on the season, so fair enough, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good win. Uh, you know, new ground, I think, which, which is always good as, as a Cobblers fan. Uh, and, yeah, it just looked uh, like a pretty professional performance for, from all accounts. You know, I'll confess I didn't watch the game. Uh, kind of followed the highlights and that while I was... Uh, busy doing other things and it from you know having spoken to a few people who went it sounded like we did quite a professional job on them that said I think people I spoke to didn't seem too impressed with with what Wimbledon put up and sounded like they're and looking at the goals looked like their keeper had a bit of a Jonathan Mitchell moment uh <laughs> with the first one although having looked back at like you like you I saw the uh alternative footage from the other side of the ground and it does take a big old deflection doesn't it so it kind of uh made it look a, a, a bit more sympathetic towards the keeper but uh I, their manager wasn't too happy with 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 the display um but yeah it's just it's just a good win you know three points most important thing is getting that clean sheet at last you know it's it's the it's the least lee burgess deserved for his performances between the sticks and yeah really important to get that that's just you know we can finally tick that off now uh We've been, you know, scoring lots of goals, like pole reversal to, to last year, but haven't been able to keep that clean sheet. So getting that and ticking that off, uh, I think, was the most important thing, as well as the three points. Fair enough. Uh, Max Louis Appare came on and did really well, considering he replaced Sean McWilliams. It wasn't a like for like at all. I was actually like, surely Abimbola. It's Abimbola time, and then Abimbola didn't come on, and Appare came on. So they had to do a tactical switch, Max. But um, he just. He's full of running and he just just he's just a likable player, isn't he? You you rate him quite highly. Oh, I love the man. Um <laughs> he's he's a great player. I don't see why he gets a load of stick. Um, you know, of, of course 
you know, he does have a couple of flaws, but then again, so does every player. You know, he might not be as clinical, but he puts in a 100% work rate and you can't fault that. You know, he's happy to make the runs. He's good with the ball at his feet. And, you know, it's, it, he's, you know, he even set up a couple of chances. I think Hoskins um, had a shot well saved from their keeper towards the end or towards before our second goal. Um, you know, he, he has that vision to set up chances and, you know, spot the runs of players. Um, and I'd prefer that over, you know, him setting up other chances for other players or perhaps for better players, perhaps for Pinnock or, um, you know, perhaps in future maybe Leonard or once Epi is fit, you know, for them to make it, you know, to run up, run forward with the ball and set up chances. Um, but I, I, I mean, I, I read a, um, a post on the one of the Cobblers forums in the week and I said, you know, what a good game he had. And someone just replied straight away, oh, yeah. He's, uh, it's his first best game in a while. He's been pretty poor so far. And it's like, what What do you, what What on earth, you know, do you know football? And it's like, uh, like, it just brings up that argument that I hate that, you know, anyone who plays as a forward, you know, has to score goals. And I actually hate that argument because, yeah. it's, it, you know, it's for me, it's a pretty out, outdated mindset. Uh, you know, anyone who plays as a striker has to score, but it's like, there's more to it now. Football's evolving. You don't have to be, now an out striker and, and that's what I love about our team at the minute is we're not having to rely on a single goal scorer we can go into any game knowing that anyone can score um, and that's what I'm liking about this team this year rather than having to rely perhaps on our defenders I mean it's great they're still scoring this year you know Tyler McGlaw's got two Guthrie's got his first goal but it's great that we're seeing other players start to step up to the mark and score who needs Aperi scoring when we've got own goal as a second. Exactly. exactly. We can rely on own goals for the rest of the season. But what you said is exactly right. And I think someone tweeted us to say that he reminds him a little bit, not like for like, but of Steve Howard. And Steve Howard used to bring a lot to the team and probably a bit, little bit underrated. And then he left. We sold him for I think it was 75,000 or whatever. And he left and went on to a brilliant career. And then there might be shades of that with um, a Perry that he's just doing so much good work that higher teams will look at him for the good work he does. But yeah, he's... um. You know, he's a very likable player. You, you want him on your side. Um, I, I want to know what he's eating though, because he went from I think he was pretty skinny last year, and he's just like a monster now. Is he having like six Weetabix for breakfast? I don't know. Whatever he's eating, he's just a beast. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's doing great. And long may it continue. Um, so yeah, so then, then there was the uh, really funny news pre-match. I shouldn't laugh really because maybe I'm just a bit cynical. But um, Luke, it was um, Epia, Josh Felix Epia, missing the game with um, food poisoning. Um, it's just it's just an yeah it's an unusual one. Let's just put it that way, Luke. I mean, we spoke about this briefly, obviously, before we start recording, and it's I've never seen anything like it. Um, I was sitting there on really on iPlayer um, to watch the game, and I just going through the team news, and I just couldn't believe what I read. Food poisoning. <laughs> I mean, like you said, it could it could just be a case it generally is true, and he must have eaten something. But I just think. For a player who's, you know, had a shoulder injury, he's come back, he's taken time to get back in the team. Either either he's got the worst luck when it comes to, you know, trying to get a game or, uh, like, I don't know, maybe there's something else going on. Now, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but it, it caught me by surprise. Just uh, food poison to stop a player's return after so long out, especially when you could argue uh, a player like him is exactly what we possibly need to have that final pin drop for us because... Uh, yeah even though we're picking up points and we're doing really well, and even the game on Tuesday, we, we weren't bad, I feel like we're nowhere near what our best could be. And I feel the addition of him, McGowan, hopefully if Williams isn't injured and he's still fit, when we get all our core players fit, I think we'll be 
will be very good. But yeah. yeah. It was, can you imagine like being out for so long with injuries, had various injury problems at Leicester and Northampton, you, you know, you battle back to fitness and then you get um, a dodgy tummy, essentially. I've got a cheese. theory here. And yeah, oh, you've beat me to it. I thought he'd gone to the same mac and cheese store I had. <laughs> I should have put that <laughs> he, on. He's, he probably listened to the podcast a few weeks ago and thought, oh, I'll try that. You know what? It, it tasted nice. I'm just going to see, you know, will you get food poisoning from it? Yeah, you will, Josh. Yeah. He's well, like, that you. James Avril is a wuss. I can eat as much as I want. And uh, it didn't work out. So we put it on Twitter, um, opening the book on why Josh, Josh won't play next game. In Patigo, the uh, childhood uh, <laughs> 11-8, uh, gone on a pilgrimage to Machu Picchu, 11-4, uh, waiting in for an Amazon delivery. You know how long they take sometimes. And they don't ever turn up on time. So, yeah, he could be missing that. That was 4-1. to one. Shyness, 6-1. to one. He might be a bit shy and <laughs> might not be able to play. And um, who are, someone tweeted us to say bad hair day. That's uh, odd. <laughs> but it was just, I just think if if players like get injections to play and they, you know, they've got a really bad injury, they'll have an injection, they'll, they'll fight through it. If you've got a bit of food poisoning, maybe, yeah, maybe fans don't want to see what happens if you play with food poisoning. But yeah. I can tell I, you I, my teammates didn't enjoy watching me with food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> Just let it all out and it's fine, James. Uh, admittedly, there's probably not a, there's not a bush by the side of the pitch at six fields that you can just quietly uh, <laughs> bury yourself in. You'd no, you be just very much a, in the public eye still. You'd have Clarence with a bucket. You just call Clarence over and he just pushes <laughs> the bucket. Oh, this has gone downhill fast. A bit like, um, yeah, he's food poisoning. Right, so hopefully he's back. They say he's fit and he's recovering from food poisoning. So hopefully the food poisoning doesn't knock on for another week. We'll... Uh, We'll see what happened. We're not cynical at all, but yeah, it was just a, quite an interesting one. Uh, Man of the match went to Guthrie, quite you know, by um, by our readers on our on our little poll, and he scored a goal technically and uh, played pretty well, so that was fair enough. You're listening to What a Load of Cobblers, original Northampton Town fanzine, established in 1988. This show isn't sponsored by Briley's of Gold Street. Come find a bargain. Right, then let's have an aside to talk about the hoo-ha about Todd Bowley's all-star game suggestion. Um, who better to have on than Martin Calladine, author of The Ugly Game, How Football Lost Its Magic and What It Could Learn from the NFL. Now, what great timing. Hopefully you might get a few more sales from your book, Martin. But um, <laughs> an American football club owner, Chelsea owner, coming out with, um, yeah, a bit of uh, bit of an idea. It's, you know, you've tagged up a lot of features of American sport that you think are actually really functional and maybe Bowley's suggestion might not be one of them. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me on again. It's, it's great to be back. Yeah. I, I think what Bowley said was, was kind of interesting because it's, you know, this picture seems to be emerging of this guy who is enjoying himself so much that he doesn't really notice that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and I think that there's a lot you know, to be said for learning from American sport. I've been talking about this for years. And I think that some of the criticism that people you know, have had about this backlash is that people are reflexively conservative, especially when it comes from the US and, and that a lot of football fans don't want anything to change. And I think that's kind of right. But I think on the other side, he, he's really pitched this wrong. So you know, he was talking about the the NBA, so the uh, the MLB baseball all-star game, which he was talking at like $200 million a year raised, which could go you know, to the EFL, which I, I don't think anyone expects that either that money would be raised or that if it was, it would it would go there. And you know, there's there's so many logistical problems with this, you know, this this north-south divide or the idea people would pay to go and watch it or attend it. And of course the biggest one is is that it's it's a it's a contact sport football. It's not like baseball. Yes, people do get hurt in baseball, but not to the same extent. 
the idea that there could be anything like a a competitive game um where we already have you know the world cup and and the euros which operate as kind of like de facto all, all stars games it, it's just ridiculous you know, so the I'm always interested, as you say, in in the NFL. The the, the comparative for me is the is the All Star Game there, which is called the Pro Bowl, and that takes place a week before the Super Bowl. And historically, players were quite reluctant to pay play because the fee was quite small compared to their regular season money, and um and the you know, the risk of injury is so high. So they they play in Hawaii, and players get an all inclusive family trip. Really, there's a massive incentive, and still. Game is absolutely terrible quality. They just—they're just not hitting each other. They're just not trying hard, which is completely understandable. M- many of the good players just simply refuse to play. So you know they've changed over time. They brought in kind of skills competitions and draft elements to it. But it's—it's it's barely even a friendly. And and if I'm honest, that's—that's that's the only way I could see this kind of idea developing. Because you know, in the summer, I was just coincidentally in Las Vegas on the weekend when. The El Clasico friendly was played there, and I had no idea it was on. I just and I walked out onto the strip of my hotel, and there was like tens of thousands of people wearing like Barca and Real shirts, and the atmosphere was amazing. And the people had flown from Mexico and Spain, and the Latino community there were involved. and And I spoke to this guy, and he'd flown from Pittsburgh and paid four hundred dollars for this seat. And the thing was like a sixty five thousand um, sellout. And I reckon that if everyone had paid four hundred dollars, that's what about. 26 million quid on the, on the gate but even then for this one-off event for a, like a, a huge like football starved population there mm. not coming to, it's only just a tenth of what he's talking about this you know really what you're saying is he'd like to play more overseas friendlies or he's saying i haven't really thought about it very much at all which is the more likely bit but you know <laughs> what what's amazing about american sport where we could learn something i think is that they they understand i saw this said very brilliantly the other day which is something i've been trying to nail down for years which is that the nfl is not necessarily kind of like this socialistic thing although sharing is, cent- is central to it what the nfl sells above all else is competition yeah competitive balance and so that's you know revenue sharing regardless of where you finished in your division you win the title you don't get any money for winning it you get a trophy your salary caps the draft for players now yeah. those are all bits that you know you can't necessarily apply those directly to english football you know where it comes from and if, if english football looked at what is trying to be achieved there which is to create a league where in any given season almost any team can win the title and to grow the whole game by sharing all of the money out yeah you could start to formulate those kind of thoughts around the football but that's not what Bowley says and that's not what he wants you know what they the, the bit they like about the NFL is closed shop so we've got these people coming in and you know let's say we should listen to ideas from everywhere but you've also got to recognize that some of these ideas are incredibly self-interested if they're if they're thought out at all and that to yeah. me seems like where Bowley's coming from with this you know like somebody's just blown out of his ass on stage and it doesn't bear five minutes scrutiny and if you actually go back to him and say well what makes the game what makes baseball what makes basketball what makes American football so interesting and, and more competitive than the UK what would you like to bring over from that to here and you're not going to get an answer I think sorry I went <laughs> on for a bit there but it, it's no, something no. I've been thinking about no no that's that, that's fair enough I've, I've got a couple of like initial points my first one is should you ever listen to the ideas of a guy called Todd? That's the first problem. I'm not sure about that one. And the second one is um, when he was doing his little thing on stage, he called it a um, a tour a tournament rather than a tournament. He can't say the word tournament properly, so that's setting off a few alarm bells for me initially. Um, but <laughs> it's just um, it's a difficult one because not all ideas are bad ideas, and sometimes I like the fact that people can shake up 
what is pretty much um, a little bit of a close shop in the Premier League. So, you know, they're all making a lot of money and they're all doing very well nicely. So new ideas can often be, especially at the top table, be sneered at a bit. So, you know, not all ideas are bad, but... Um, yeah, when you when you look at it and you you pull up some of the issues that that you have in terms of um, you know just the sheer the sheer number of games people play and um, you know the, the competitive element the, the the potential for injury and all this sort of thing, it's sort of yeah you make it makes you think twice about it. Um, I guess my biggest problem with it is it that you've got the fan led review going on in the background or allegedly going on in the background and there's been. I th- I think there was a mirror story saying that Liz Truss might not be that receptive to it and actually it might get kicked into the long grass. Now, if you've got these ideas which do take the column inches like all-star games, it does actually detract from the real um, reform the game's needed, uh, Martin. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a big concern. So we see these kind of these token concessions to fans in terms of representation or talking about share ownership. Um, and all of it is to create the illusion that self-regulation works and could continue to work. And in, in Liz Truss, you know, the worry is you found somebody who who deeply believes in that, who deeply opposes government intervention in almost any, any walk of life. Todd yeah. Bowley's intervention doesn't seem to me calculated in that regard. It, it looks to me like um, like so much of this stuff that he's making up as he goes along, he's enjoying his his first day on the job and that he, he wants to make a big impression. I think what's interesting to me is how um, whether that means that the big six or seven will continue to be able to move in lockstep or whether we start to see a fracture between um, kind of like the, the the government owned businesses there. So, you know, Newcastle and Man City or the kind of the increasing club of financier owned ones. For now, we need to stop listening to Todd's latest reckon and start focusing on you know, the, the government made this promise in their in their manifesto, they would hold this review, which they did, it is a, a government run, uh, a government written document. It's widely approved of by everybody, but a small number of people and it's ready to go. And it, and if it doesn't, that it has catastrophic impacts on football. And, and you know, it's, it's maybe the last best opportunity we would have to save football from itself. Um, and increasingly, it feels like it's slipping away. And, and that really troubles me. Sure. And I'd... it worries me when you have a lack of conversation about financial distribution in football and we had that project big picture a few years ago that was in the background and probably never really gone away that when you have conversations about you know one-off windfalls uh, you know in in inverted commas to the pyramid that's often referred to does that mean that they're you know people are actually looking at you know different ways to avoid the the just know the sheer percentage solidarity payments down down the pyramid and looking at ways of you know a bit like in in horse racing where the 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 horse racing levy is often um critiqued by people that have to pay it you know the bookmakers and stuff but it is a good way to 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 fund um to fund sports so when you have these like one-off um they they, one-off ideas they do seem you know pretty good on face value but what's going to happen to the actual real the real funding going on behind the scenes I mean, to me, the analogy here is with philanthropy, where incredibly wealthy people avoid tax and then spend the money that they have avoided, that they've failed yeah. to pay to the exchequer on the projects that they personally value. Yeah. And, and that has you know, the impact that that leaves perpetual underfunding for, for important government services. But it also maintains the idea amongst the public generally that this money is theirs as a right and they share it when they want to. Yeah. And 
you know, the whole idea of like, like some, uh, increased solidarity contribution. The the Premier League sits atop that pyramid. It's yeah. sustained by those fans and those clubs and the, the players that move through it the whole of that game. Yet yeah. it takes it claims for itself the overwhelming uh, amount of money. It says, well, that's ours because of the TV. But we know that, you know, regardless of which clubs come and go, the league continues to grow. That it, it's part of its success is that it's an English language league. That it's um, historical that it has a lot of famous clubs and, yeah. and all of that is a product of football more generally. And so you know, we need to be bolder in saying that's not your money to share with us when you feel like it. That's you taking a, an undue share of what the, a pot that should be rightly shared more widely. And yeah. so, yeah, the, this whole idea of, well, yeah, we can, you know, we can just sprinkle a little money here or there or come up with something to satisfy you. It doesn't address the fundamental problem of governance and kind of fairness and of kind of like a proper properly representative voice for all of the clubs in the land. We know that football in the UK is, in, in, in England rather, is almost exclusively run for and by six or seven football clubs, um, not even the top 20, uh, let alone the, you know, the top 92 professional clubs. It, it is absurd and damaging, and, and we have to do everything we can to, to break through that mindset that says, oh, look at these wealthy, kind people helping us out with a few crumbs from the table. Yeah. Yeah, and that goes back to the schism of '92, which never has really ever been fixed, really. And in if you look at um, you know a modern way of, of running of running football, I guess the this idea and it actually links to, to strangely in a weird analogy to you know having a monarchy, doesn't it? That you're, you're essentially going you know doffing your cap, going cap in hand to an elite. Um, so very, so although that might have seemed quite modern in 92 when the Premier League was formed, that you know it's actually not that modern now when you've got big clubs in the Championship, League One, Sunderland, going all the way down, these very proud clubs. And in in reality, you'd, you'd think it was actually more functional to, instead of just having Sky TV and satellite dishes, which are even outdated now, I would suspect, you'd have a complete uniform streaming system with, you know, the EFL and the Premier League being merged like they used to be and going back to like a, a whole football league, essentially. And then people having access to, you know, different games they want. I, I think the fear is, is that the Premier League might find it's actually not as popular as it thinks because because it's the only show in town and, you know, people get access to it in this in this blockbuster way. But if you actually give people the choice, you know, people might actually prefer to watch, um, you know, some games from... Um, down into in, down in League One or you know the Championship or whatever, and that actually might be a little bit more popular. So it it, it does feel to me that the system is anachronistic even from from '92. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I do, and I kind of I kind of agree with part of that and not part of it because I think in terms of like the, the setup, it, it's like kind of like the House of Lords or whatever. It's it's a thing that if you came to it fresh with the power that the Premier League has and the control it has over one small portion of the top of the game. It doesn't make any logical or financial sense other than the people it benefits. Um, yeah. It's not where you would start if you were drawing things up properly. It was a product of kind of, you know, like um, the enclosure of public space by wealthy people who saw an opportunity and, and yeah. acted in a way that like you know, the FA were not able and the EFL were not able to respond to. Um, it, it doesn't have any genuine legitimacy to me in the way that it's currently structured. Whether so to me, I've always thought that they should fold the, the two leagues back together, that it should be run in, in a unitary way. And I do think there needs to be much wider availability of streaming services. So we go back to what we can learn from the NFL. You, know, you can go on, you know, I, I get the NFL streaming app and, um, you know, you can get for it's about £150 a year now and you can get every single game. Um, 
and 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 that's all beautifully cut up into into highlights if you want them or the full matches they produce their own programs you can go back into an archive of games going dozens of years um, and it's all there and available whenever you want it at a much lower price than than people in the UK pay to watch their football on telly. Um, I'm not certain that that necessarily means that like that the value or, or the desire to watch TV is uh, uh, games of, of smaller clubs is being artificially suppressed. I think the brilliance of the Premier League in terms of marketing is it has successfully convinced almost everyone that it's the only game in town. And of course, yeah. you want to watch the best players if you have that opportunity because the football is better. Um, but that isn't that isn't a reason not to you know for, for all parts of football to be properly exploring how how streaming works and looking at ways of making itself properly accessible to more people. I've I've always felt that even though I understand there's some concerns about how that money must be distributed and how that might impact on attendances. Yeah, they're fair points. Let's um let's wrap up in a minute. We've been talking for a while, but in terms of Todd Bowley's all-star game you know these these things are often mooted in football and sometimes just to throw a comment at a conference like he did in New York you know can disappear into the ether sometimes they can just lurk around for a while sometimes they can take root remember the uh the extra game in the Premier League that was um you know mooted and dismissed but is, is it still in the background who knows um but yeah it's sort of with your book you've written on American sports what as I said these ideas sometimes can distract from the actual real uh, functional and, and progressive ideas in American sport. Are there any, you know, it's a few years since you've written your book. Are there any things that um, American sport does that you you still think can have a functionality in English English football, even with the uh, you know lack of a close shot? Oh, absolutely massive. So, for example, like re- revenue sharing, I see absolutely no reason why every team in the same division shouldn't receive the same amount of money. There's just no explanation I've ever encountered why finishing higher should give you more money and thereby a better chance of finishing higher again the next season. It's an obviously like a feedback loop that benefits bigger clubs. Um, that wouldn't drastically change you know, the, the lack of parity between the divisions, but we know that's got to change with, um, uh, with, with looking at parachute payments. Um, in terms of kind of like uh, the way that they structure how clubs can own and manage players they have what is comparatively although it's a higher number much tighter restrictions on the number of players that you can have they have something i've always liked which is is um what's called a practice squad so if you have a young player who you don't think you're going to need but has um you think it might be one for the future you sign their practice squad which is like 10 more more players you can have each year uh, and then they kind of they train with the team and can move on to the main squad if and when you need them but because they are only on your practice squad, they are effectively free agents. So any other team can poach them, provided they pay their salary, if they move them onto their um, actual starting roster. So you know, what that says to me is there are ways, if you want to, of addressing the hoarding of young talent that isn't getting played. And you look at Man City and Chelsea and all of those young players. We know that there's loads and loads of talent in those squads that are being hoarded that probably will never play. We can start to tackle the stranglehold they have on the youth game that way by adopting something of that which is you know a smaller smaller squad size and maybe you could say a rule that if a, you know, if a player's contract is expires at 21 and they haven't played a set number of games in the previous 12 months they can't re-sign with that team so there's bits you can cherry pick from all over the nfl but also from american support generally if we really wanted to the thing that todd bowley did say which i give him great credit for is he talked about having a playoff for the third relegation spot um, or even for the fourth Champions League spot. And I know a lot of people will be, be outraged about that. I actually quite like that idea. I know that in football, you know, the, the table doesn't lie because everyone plays t- t- each other twice a season. But we all already accept 
the legitimacy of the of the EFL um, playoffs. I am my my team Reading went, once finished second um, and still lost in the playoffs because it was the year they were reorganising the numbers in the Premier League. And you know it only took me about ten years to get over that. So we know that that gate makes the season more long lasting. It creates more interesting games. There's hardly any dead rubbers in that. And so. I'm not completely opposed to that idea. You, you'd be saying it would be like, you know, um, would be like 18 to 15 would have a mini tournament to see you've got third relegation spot. Um, fifth to eighth would play off to see you've got the last Champions League spot. I, I quite like that. I think that's really interesting. I know not everyone will agree with me, but I, I think yeah. Todd might be onto something like that. And I don't think we should immediately dismiss that. Um, again, sorry, I apologize. I went on a bit there. How do you answer that question? Where, where would you start? Oh, yeah, that's, I think that's probably enough uh, one for another show, I'd say. I think it's quite interesting. He was talking about this tor- tournament or tournament in uh, other people's language uh, about, I think what he was referring to is what, what they have in Germany, probably in terms of, you know, the playoffs. You have a playoff um, between the, the higher and lower division. Part of me thinks, is that just another way of, you know, securing, making it harder to be relegated? So therefore, you, know, you, can, you can play terrible all, all, all year and then you just get your shit together for one one or two games and then you stay in the league. Do you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 de- I can imagine that would actually be quite popular in the Premier League. Just that, you know, that extra roll of the dice. You would expect yeah. that most teams, even a really poor team in 18th, would still think they might have a shot at surviving if they were playing, uh, you know, the, 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 the third fourth, fifth and sixth teams in the championship. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a kind of a slightly regressive move. So as with all of this stuff, you know, even when the Premier League announces something potentially interesting, the devil is always in the detail. Who benefits from this? Does it really help football generally in competitiveness or does actually it serve to keep the wealthy in their place? Yeah, very true. And this will rumble on, no doubt. Uh, I don't think the all-star game, no, it's out of the, <laughs> the genies out of the bottle. I don't think it would be going anyway. Anyway, so part of the you know the, the the commentary in the game was you know this is this is not going to work, and then people started getting excited and saying which players are going to play for which team. So we'll see what happens. But thanks for taking the time to join me again. It's always fascinating hearing from you know what American sport does well. It's often it's been described as like a socialist sport in a capitalist country like um, American football or whatever. Maybe that's pushing it a bit far. Yeah, maybe so. But you know, I, de- I definitely think that like that that deep focus on competition is, is such a powerful thing and ultimately if Bowley wants to push that a little bit harder it might not be terrible having him in the league but yeah we'll see again thanks so much for inviting me on as well always a joy to speak to you yeah no worries you too and we'll speak again soon no doubt for some other uh mind fire that's come out but take care and we'll speak soon cheers one load of couplers still only a pound it's a good time to bring in Chris Fitzgerald, author and writer on Watchdale AFC, ahead of Saturday's game between Cobblers and Dale at Sixfields. It's not been the best start, has it, uh, Chris? But there's been a lot going on. It, there has been a lot going on off the pitch. But um, if I could just talk about what's going on on it first, that'd be great. Yep. Because, um, yeah, we've had a bit of a tumultuous start. Um, we've, we've still not won a game, although we have picked up points now. Um, we, we, we've lost a manager, you know, four games in, and we got a lot of criticism for that for uh, for sacking him, which you know is unfair in my opinion because he wasn't sacked after four games. Robbie Stockdale, he was sacked after a full season and four games, and for not only I wouldn't even say continuing the poor form, he actually worsened the poor form um, by rigidly sticking to 
what didn't work last season. And and by that, I don't mean necessarily the formation that he played. Um, it was more the instructions that he gave within that formation. Um, I think you, you'll hear a lot about Rochdale playing five at the back, which yep. uh, which which isn't you know it. it it was it was three at the back with two wing backs and it was only five at the back when the wing backs got pinned back obviously but it, it that wasn't so much because that was effective when it, when he first started using it I mean I think people quickly forget we were eighth in League Two after ten games last season the first ten games uh, he, he's he openly said to supporters at a forum that he wasn't so bothered about how many passes it was just the right pass at the right time and and that was working for us we were getting into the box and we were effective. Then that stopped uh, and, and we became a team that was very easy to beat uh, yeah. and became less dangerous to other teams, unfortunately. So yeah. that that continued. Now, there's an argument that, that the board should have acted at the end of last season, which which is fair enough. Uh, they probably would have got stick from some other quarters for doing that, but they allowed him a summer to yeah. overhaul the squad. Uh, and the worrying thing is he actually, he, he, you know, on the surface, looked like he's made the team worse. So four games in, apathy throughout the team I think the right decision was made um, and yeah the board got stick from quarters outside of the club for, for, for what looked like a knee-jerk reaction but it really wasn't uh, yeah. and thankfully now we've we've got a new man in who uh, in Jim Bentley who knows the division and already is looking to make us I think a more direct football team. Uh, yeah it's sometimes it feels like a knee-jerk reaction when you just look at it on face value a bit. You've seen the context of it, and it might have been a decision to um, to relieve um, Stockdale of his um, duties. A bit of a long time coming, but I just looked at your recent results. So you lost one nil at home v Leighton Orient in the last game, and um, Leighton Orient are a good side. I think they're top, aren't they? So they're pretty uh, yeah. pretty useful. So that's not a massive disgrace. You drew three all away at Carlisle. Drew one all at home free Crawley, uh, lost three nil away at Swindon. So you're not being you know, smashed every week. There's sort of small margins sometimes. Do you do you sort of take a little bit of of hope in the tightness of, of the results, or do you think that you know the results speak for themselves? You're bottom of the league. Yeah, no, it's a bit of both. Um, so some of those those results actually span three different managers that you mentioned there in terms wow. of. Stockdale, uh, Jim McNulty, while he was caretaker, uh, which is a bizarre situation, he went back to playing centre-half once Jim, Jim Bentley was appointed. Um, <laughs> so so it, spans, it spans those results. But under under Stockdale, I think the biggest problem was, even though we probably weren't smashed, although 3-0 at Swindon, uh, that, that's a smashing, uh, it, it was more the whole look of the team. There was just not that... Um, I think as a Rochdale supporter, you know, you, you can imagine... A, you know, I've supported them since '88. I've seen some some times. I've seen some bad teams as well. Yeah. Um, but all all you would ever ask, we don't expect the world, but we expect um, a team to leave everything on the pitch. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, shed blood for the cause basically. Uh, and that just wasn't happening under Stockdale, yeah. and, and certainly in these four games. And that's that's just unforgivable for me. So I think that that had to happen, whether we we're getting smashed or not. Um, yeah. it, it just it was the way we were losing. I think that's the biggest problem. Yeah. Um, what's happened now is Bentley's come in um, and, and made us certainly more direct. What well, one thing you'll you'll always hear about Rochdale of late as well is just we are so fallible at set pieces. The amount of goals we concede from corners, free kicks is is actually unbelievable. I think yeah. zonal, zonal marking's got a lot to to do with that. I just don't think we're equipped to do it. 
uh, and, and I'm hoping Bentley sorts that out. But uh, you, you mentioned the Carlisle result there and 3-1 away from home. Uh, you're thinking this is this is fantastic. We're going to pick up our points. All is well in the world. And again, you know, we're, we're the architects of our own downfall and end up only coming away with a point. So yeah. I think we certainly look dangerous again under Bentley. I mean, he's you know to play the way Bentley's looking to set us up. I think you need a, you need a strong big number nine. He's immediately addressed that by bringing Scott Quigley in alone from Stockport who uh, against Carlisle, looks, he, he just he battered their back line for uh, 70 minutes before he was subbed with cramp. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, against Leighton Orient, a better back line. It wasn't as effective. Um, we need more of his debut and less of what we saw against Leighton Orient if we're to get out of this mess. But yeah, yeah um, it, it, things are starting to look a bit more positive. I think the growing consensus is Bentley, unfortunately, stuck with players that he didn't pick uh, over the summer. Uh, and sure. he's not really going to be able to do too much about that until January, uh, loan market yeah. notwithstanding. So it, it, it's hard again to judge Bentley until he can do that. So he's, he's, he's working with the tools he's been given. But already yeah. even with that, you know, you, you're seeing a lot more effort from the players and a lot more uh, commitment. Against Leighton Orion, he's, he kind of, I think he referred to it after in the post-match as setting traps. What, what what you could see he was doing, he was trying to get everyone behind the ball when Orient were in our half and, and get the counter on them. But the problem yeah. with that is we, we were lacking the quality. The final ball just wasn't there, so we weren't able to hurt them. They rolled that period out and then they started to dictate, you know, the game. Yeah. Um, but to our credit, we, we kept them out, you know, and, and we, we got a penalty in, the, in stoppage time, which oh, I can't even watch that again. <laughs> you know, you just smash them, don't you? But quickly rolled it uh, and, and and we, we so we, again we could have stole a point there uh, yeah. but unfortunately we came away with nothing so <laughs> here we are uh, now looking at Saturday against you guys uh, who, are, who are doing particularly well and uh, I hate to say it I hate to say it but we're um, set pieces is one of our uh, key key uh, dangers really so <laughs> all right well there we go then uh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> unless unless that's been knocked out of us in a week uh, I can see us then uh, not not coming away with anything yeah, no, it's, it's difficult. We'll get, we'll get on to match predictions later on, but sometimes when yeah. you're down there and you're fighting and stuff, there can be quite tricky games. We're not going to expect to roll you over at all. Um, you said you've followed Dale since 1988. Do you remember Northampton's old ground at the county ground? Did you ever come to that uh, ground? Uh, I, I didn't. Actually. You know, Northampton's uh, a place I've never been to away. Really? Uh, and I've been, I've been a lot of places following Rochdale away, never been to Northampton. Yeah, we used to have, uh, essentially, we used to share with the cricket ground, so you definitely would have remembered it. It was uh, a three-sided ground, and then the other side is Northampton County Cricket, the first-class cricket side. So Fantastic. we moved to six fields in the 90s, and uh, that ground's gone. But I just wondered if you'd ever made that journey. Obviously, it's not a, yeah, it's not really a glamour trip, so I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's not, it's not even that, because we've been in the same division plenty of times over yeah, the time. time yeah. Yeah. I, I've followed Rochdale, yeah, but it's, yeah. Just, it's just never worked out that way that it's an away day I've been to. Oh, fair enough. Well, you got you I'm got something to right, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, In terms of Bentley's tactics, you talked about it a little little bit in terms of he's having to be quite pragmatic with playing with players that maybe aren't his first choice. You never know, and just trying to do the best with what he's got. Um, is he? You said that he's tried to lay a few traps and stuff. Is he changing the tactics every week, or is he trying to just install something that's a bit more consistent? Well, I. I you, What's he been in charge now? Is it three games? Yeah. So yeah. It, it the first game was against, was against Ashton. He was literally just in the door and it was a Papa John. So he can't really even 
Yeah. I, I, I don't think you can use that as any kind of guide, but um, certainly against Carlisle, it was it was more gung ho and it was have a go, um, and and it and it worked. It did work. I think certainly in the second half, um, we Carlisle did not know what to do with us, and I was hoping for more of the same. Uh, we were due to play Salford on Saturday, but because of the Queen's passing, obviously that was postponed. Yeah. So his his actual first home game ended up being against Orient, who were the league leaders. And I do wonder if he had a bit of a wobble of confidence and was a bit more cautious. Um, yeah. So. So far, I've seen him, that's two games, and he's adapted based on the opposition. But whether or not, because he, he's still getting to know the players as well, I suppose. And we've got quite a few injuries, and he'll be seeing who, who we've got as they, as, as they come back and what they can do. Um, maybe he's just, he's just, I would say at the minute, he's playing the opposition rather than finding the style that we're constantly good at. Yeah. But I think that will come once he knows the players and knows what he's mm. got to work with. So do you think he's likely to go with three at the back or five at the back, whatever you want to call it? Like a, I, I don't think so. No, I think no. you're seeing more of a, a, a solid two and uh, instead of wing backs, full backs. Okay. Um, but again, it, it's interesting because we, we, we've got um, Femi Sariki on loan, and I think he was just starting to play well at right back, but he's not really he's not really had a start. So um, we're playing Jimmy Kierhan over there, uh, and I always think he's better on the on the left so I, I, mm. I just don't know I just don't know I, it's hard to call what what he's going to set up with I mean for, for me our biggest problem at the minute is midfield mm. um, we are not playing the correct players um, in, in those positions so as you'll know we've got Ian Henderson back at the club um, yeah. whether that's sentimental or not I don't know but I mean he's a, he's a class player but he's not shown it so far this season uh, and he's he's playing and he's kind of playing in a position he shouldn't really be in in in, in my opinion uh, and I'd be surprised if he starts on Saturday for that reason um, so we, we, we've got James Ball as well who's playing far too deep um, you know for me he should be thirty no no further back than thirty yards from goal um, we just don't seem to be picking the right central two um, I'm I'm hoping we've got a lad called Connor Malley. Uh, who the brief chances he's had has looked phenomenal. He's, he's definitely looked like our most attacking, creative player. But for whatever reason, he's he's not really getting a look in. Um, it could be fitness. I just don't know. Yeah. But I, I would I would hope to see him play on Saturday. Um, and old-fashioned Mike Bassett style. <laughs> I, <laughs> if we went four four two on Saturday, I'd actually be thrilled because yeah. I think we just need to, I think we need to give it a go. Yeah, um, why not? That'd be nice to see. We've got a couple of injuries in central midfield. We lost Ben Fox, guy we got from Grimsby, who's pretty oh, injured. Yeah. got injured long term, got a bad injury. And then um, Sean McWilliams, our homegrown defensive midfielder, he got injured on Tuesday against Wimbledon. We're not sure if he's what the extent of the injury is, but he could possibly be out as well. So there could be a little bit of um, leeway there, a bit of a route through in the central midfield. But obviously, we're up towards the top, so we've got quite a good squad um Ian Henderson used to play for us did absolutely nothing for us he's you know whenever people like Rochdale fans or ever talk about Ian Henderson how good he is we're just like we never saw him play like that but I know I know I I interviewed him for my book um and he did he he speaks about his time at Northampton I think um it was it was a a, god who was it It was a someone he, he played under at Norwich was there at the time I can't think who that would be. Is it um, is it Stuart Gray or? Um... Yeah, yeah, he does he does mention, but he he did say that there was a change of management 
yeah. uh, while he was there, and then he wasn't really fancied after that. And yeah. It was kind of, yeah, it, 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 part of his nomadic years, I think he calls it. So. Yeah, he's, he's obviously a, a good technical player. And uh, I remember, and it's quite funny, actually, because it's, uh, I remember Keith Hill bringing a team down for Rochdale, and I don't know if Henderson was playing for them, but I was really impressed with the Keith Hill Rochdale side. They play some really good football, really good. And now he's down at Scunthorpe, and they can't they can't buy a win. Well, no, well he's he's actually left Scunthorpe, hasn't he? Oh, I mean, is he? Yeah, his record there was appalling, and yeah, it, it's a shame for Keith Hill. I mean, I could fill up another whole podcast just talking about his his time at the club, but yeah, and, and how he revolutionised it. But again, he, Ian Henderson wasn't an out and out striker when he first came to the Rochdale he was playing out wide and I think it, it, he described it in his interview as there was a period when we, we played I can't remember the opposition was it might have been crew uh, and we had no fit strikers and, and Key Phil decided to play him and Matt Don as what he called inverted strikers or something like that it was a weird yeah. position and it just worked um, and Henderson flourished and well, Matt Don ended up getting a move to Sheffield United I think on the back yeah. of it you know but yeah. It, yeah that was Key Phil's uh, real asset for us just spotting something in players that no one else had seen and definitely and yeah i remember that yeah yeah you have a couple of players they weren't, they weren't fashionable players at all but they were bloody quite good technically and you kept the ball yeah. well and you played good football and i remember thinking this is a you know i remember thinking i would, I would love him to come and manage us at some point I and mean, now his stock has fallen sadly to like so low i don't know if he would uh i don't know what's gonna happen to him next is he in a job now i don't know no he's not but i've just seen uh oldham of uh parted ways with Sheridan so I wouldn't be surprised if if Keefell gave that a go next yeah that's true but yeah it's just funny it just shows you that you can go from that team of I remember he got you out of the league for the first time in god knows how many years and stuff got you promoted and you had some good football and now you're back to playing direct so yeah he he did it twice he he liked us didn't he for Barnley came back and got us promoted again after we'd been relegated it's just that I I, I call it like the, the Jose Mourinho effect where you know I think Every manager has their time, and then time's yep. just advance, and then someone else's philosophy or whatever you want to call it yep. takes over. And I just think that's sadly happened to Keith Hill now. But um, he's, he's probably still got a lot to give another club somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's finished uh, his career just yet. Uh, you've got Richard O'Donnell in goal. He used to play for Cobblers um, not for too long, but he always seemed pretty okay. Yeah, well, I would say, and this probably is an indictment of where we are as a team at the moment, he's been our best player um, <laughs> this season. So, uh, very impressive. He pulled off an absolutely cracking save on Tuesday night, actually, uh, yeah. which stopped, yeah. you know, that, that really but did stop it being 2-0. Uh, oh, sorry, it was 0-0 at that point, I think. But, yeah, uh, he, he's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And uh, I think he's, he's a pretty cracking guy off the pitch. He seems involved in uh, a lot of the stuff we do. Uh, her game too. He's the um, ambassador for that as well. So uh, it seems like an all-round nice guy and a cracking goalkeeper. So uh, long may that continue. Yeah, I guess you don't really want your goalie to be the best player for too long. No, right? as <laughs> I say, yeah, that's yeah. that is definitely an indictment of where we are as a team at the minute. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. If it wasn't for him, I'd say some of the uh, the defeats would have been heavier. Have you got a player to watch for us that we we perhaps don't know a lot about? Oh, that's a tough one, like because it's so hard to know who we're going to pick. Mm. Um, I've mentioned Connor Malley there. I mean, he, he we're, we're just learning about him as well as, as Rochdale fans. So he, I think he could be one if he starts. He, he definitely looks like um, a tricky player. Um, but beyond that, I think you probably know most of the the, the 
the players that are with us, whether they've played against you for us or with other teams, because they're all yeah. at the minute around about that, you know, that kind of level. Um, Scott Quigley, obviously, we're pinning a lot of hopes on him at the minute um, to, to score goals and just to get us out of this mess. So uh, certainly him. And then who we pick at centre-half as well and midfield at the minute is is anybody's guess. Uh, I quite like this. It's a bit of a mystery team we're going to play on Saturday and we won't know much about them, so that'll be uh, quite interesting. As um... Yeah, a lot of it's dictated by Bentley's choice and injury. As I say, we, we, the centre-half situation... Again, I don't know how that's progressing, and understandably, the, the club are not advertising that. But uh, our, our first two centre halves are out injured, so if if they're back, that that's a bonus. We're going to have to talk about the off the field stuff. Obviously, changing managers is never good with consistency, and that doesn't help. But there was a lot of, and it, it just makes me. It's just interesting. I just I've heard this phrase, hostile takeover, and it's something yeah. that you really associate with some sort of like the company, like a financial company or something, or you know. But then I was, and it was mentioned a couple of times, but I've just done a little bit of reading on it, and it it just seemed a, quite a strange story. In in but but not strange for how football, you know, um, governance works and stuff. It happens a lot. But um, I'll I'll try and I'll just read off what I've research and then you can just add anything to it that you, you think if I've missed anything out but it seemed that um, I think it was in 2021 it emerged that uh, a takeover for Rochdale from a group called Morton House MGT mm-hmm. um, had failed in a takeover uh, a hostile takeover and uh, essentially you know taken over some uh, quite a lot of shares um, in a hostile manner um, and then it turned out that a number of individuals related to them um became relevant persons without the prior consent of the EFL to, with, to do with the uh, owners and directors test. Then it emerged that 25 of the shares in the club had been sold to Matt Sovel, a name that um, in inverted commas had uh, rang alarm bells with supporters of another club in Charlton Athletic. And you can read a lot about Matt Sovel at Charlton Athletic online. Um, then you can sort of bring me in here how did it go from that to the supporters, uh, you know, taking taking control? And there's a, an interesting percentage. I think it's 43% owned by the board. The Sports Trust owned 13% and 42% owned by 500 individual shareholders. That's quite complicated. Yeah. But how did it go from so, this failed takeover to the supporters uh, taking control? Yeah, I have to be careful what I say here, but it, it was for... There was actions taken that then led to Morton House bringing in a high court case against the directors and the supports trust, saying that they were unfairly prejudicing them as shareholders. However, that case has very recently been settled. uh, And as a result of that, we've managed to buy back uh, the shares that Morton House owned, if you like. So as far as I understand the situation now, they are out of the picture and all the shares are back within the club, uh, be that the directors who are all supporters themselves or all the supporters trust. So I guess you've had the, you know, just down the road at Berry. I'm not going to link um, these 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 guys with the, with the Berry owners or whatever, but you've had at least a, um, a chase and an example down the road at Berry of, of how things can go wrong and stuff. So it just it, it just feels like, it's just one of those examples of, of supporters just saying, look, no, we're not going to have it go down like that. And, you know, taking back control, literally, of the situation and ownership of the club. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, Berry is the, the, the leading example to all clubs, or should be, about what, what can happen if you 
if supporters kind of sit with their feet up, you know, yeah, you, you've got to you've got to stay vigilant, and and, and that's what we did here. I, I just think this is a real victory for supporter power. I've, um, we've kept the club fan owned, and I think everybody deserves a round of applause for doing that. Everyone that played a part, big or small. I mean, even right from the the supporters trust fundraising activity, because obviously. Even though it was settled out of court, there was lawyers, you know, on on call defending them. Uh, I won't say twenty four seven, but they were certainly very active, and they still had to be paid. So the fundraising made sure we were able to do that as well. Yeah, um, yeah, it was it was a complete effort, um, and I'm yeah, just so so pleased it's over. I think a lot of people will be sleeping easier at night now without this hanging over them. It's I think I, I'm quite sort of vocal about this these sort of things and uh, you know Northampton Town we had the first supporters trust in 1992 uh, not exact same thing but we had a, a rogue owner uh, took over the club and the club were just near to going bankrupt and uh, a guy called Brian Lomax and um, a couple of others set up the first ever supporters trust at Northampton so we were rightly proud of that but that was in 1992 and now in 2002 30, 30 years later exactly uh, this stuff is still going on it's absolutely absolutely nuts like the game does not learn itself the no and this fan-led review needs to come through real quick but we're not even sure that's going to come through now it's just... no i know it, you're right it really does need to but you, you've got to always ask yourself if, if if you or i won the euro millions right and we wanted to chuck a load of money at our football clubs nobody would question it because our pedigree of being supporters and uh spending money through the gate and on shirts and stuff throughout the years it's there for all to see when you know some essex businessmen turn up I want to start throwing money at a football club uh, in the northwest of England. All of a, you, you have to say why. Why? What is in it for you? What are you going to get back out of this? And I've never had a satisfactory answer to that question. And yep. you know, it, so you've got to treat that with suspicion. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just a case of the money is not massive in the game at our level, and therefore you've all, and and the and these sort of like old philanthropic owners that people like Jack Walker at Blackburn and people like that they're 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 they're, they're very few and far between now. So when you haven't got that that money and there's you know there's not huge manufacturers in the town anymore that owners are going to like put something into the into the club. You you essentially have to look at being you know self-sustaining and look within your own fan base and your own community and stuff. And I just think it's the the, the natural way to go and. You, although you're not going to be rolling in money, you're going to be better off than a lot of clubs that are open to all sorts of um, rogue elements. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that seems to have worked out. OK. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed, you never know. These things can rumble on for years. But um, let's move on to back onto the pitch. Uh, some predictions for Saturday. And, you know, it's difficult for you, isn't it? I'll let you go first, like a score prediction. I know it's going to be difficult, but what do you reckon? I, I'm going to be optimistic and I'm going to say, We'll come away with a 2-1 win. However, wow, okay. however, since you've told me set pieces are your specialty, uh, I'm actually I'm, I'm going to revise that and probably say we're going to come away with a 2-0 loss. Okay, uh, yeah, I don't want to sort of sort of like um, make you want to change your your mind on that. I think without you know being patronised, I think a, a one-all draw or something like that would be pretty good for you. I know we've been down the bottom quite a few I'll times, so we that. know what it's like. Yeah. But um, I'm going to go, I just think we're playing pretty well. We're right up there. We've got quite a lot of goal threats. We're good from set pieces, quite a powerful side. So I'm just going to have to say a win. I'm going to I'm gonna go 2-1 to Northampton. And um, hopefully your fans come and have a, you know, a good crackdown at Sixfields. And um, it's a good game. That's all we ever hope for, isn't it? 
I'm sure they will. They did uh, away following, uh, and certainly the home now. They, they've got really it's the overcoaters, uh, real vocal bunch get right into it. So uh, the atmosphere will be cracking if nothing else. No, oh, that's really good. We like that. Six fields isn't in the best <laughs> atmosphere. So hopefully they'll uh, try and rouse it a little bit. It's been really interesting to talk to you, mate. And um, we'll catch up again, like maybe for the return fixture. But um, take care yes. and um, enjoy the game. Champions! next season let's uh forget when we're doing we're up at uh, i think we're joint fourth now so that's pretty good going into saturday's game at home against watchdale now we've got a little segment on the show about watchdale and they've been a bit for a torrid time off the pitch and they're bottom of the league james we know what it's like to be bottom of the league sometimes or down there sometimes like it's hard isn't it because you, you can win a game but then you just draw a game or lose a game and you're suck right down so you can sort of feel a little bit for uh, watchdale down there can't you yeah, it's obviously a position we, unfortunately, we're getting a bit used to in kind of like the early 2010s. Thankfully, we've kind of steered away from that a bit more. There was obviously that season when Dean Austin kind of started as the manager and you thought, oh, no, here we go again. But since then, we've been kind of more at the top end of League Two, which is where we've kind of traditionally always been. We tended to yo-yo, haven't we, between League One and Two. Uh, it's a surprise to see Rochdale down there, to be honest. They've, uh, they're obviously in League Two for... Was it like 46 years or something? And then they finally went up and typically it was against us. I remember being there thinking, God, these fans haven't seen scenes like these for like 50 years or or whatever it was. Um, And since then, they've kind of like been more in League One, I would say, than than League Two. Um, So it is a surprise to see them down there. You wouldn't have put them as being uh, a team you would expect to see down there. I think you'd probably be looking at, two teams who are in occupying second and third position at the moment in Barrow and Stevenage. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting start to the season. Uh, I don't really know what's gone wrong there. I'd expect the, uh, the guests that you're speaking to will know a lot more about that, but um, it's surprising to see them down there for sure. Yeah. I just think that they've had a, you know, a few things off the pitch. Their squad probably isn't that strong and you can just get sometimes get stuck down there and change of manager and stuff. So um It'll be difficult for them, but obviously we're pretty buoyant, James. What would your match score prediction be then? You are you confident of a win? Two 0 Northampton. Yeah, that sounds fair enough. I don't like I don't like sometimes rubbing it in. We don't get to rub it in that often with like away fans, but I didn't want to rub it in with the the Watchdale guy because we've been down there. And I, but, but I am confident. I, I'll, I'll go for um I'll go for two one myself. What about you, Max? Do you think we'll keep the little roll the run going? I'm not. Sure. I mean, I think I saw a, a stat that said, I, I think again, Luke. Oh, no, no, you're not about, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, it, uh, we haven't beat him at home in ten years. We haven't beaten away since I was born in two thousand. Uh, well, yeah, that. yeah. So I think actually it was Aaron on Twitter who shared that with me. But yeah, we've we've not got a good record against Rochdale, and the best thing about that is most times we've played them, they have been in the bottom four. Right. Okay. So yeah, but yeah, but that yeah. Uh, record is not broken out, mate. It's, it's not, it doesn't sound good. I was thinking, like, I actually, when, when I said to him, I was just like, I actually can't remember us beating Rochdale. Yeah. I remember David Buchanan scoring scoring his only goal uh, against them up there. Did we beat them up there or was that a two-all draw? Uh, John Joe missed a penalty in the last minute or something like that, I believe. In the last, that yeah, was it, minute. yeah. But yeah, you're right. We, we, I was just thinking as I was saying it, I was like, oh, maybe. But no, let's stick with 2-0. Runs come to an end. Optimism. Lovely yep, so, um, Unless so, you're Josh Appear. So, yeah. <laughs> obviously, Luke, with his terrible statistics, has ruined all our moods. But what do you reckon? <laughs> um, I, I be, well, although I was going to counter that with, uh, I think I think you might have shared this, Tom, earlier. Um, 
was it a stat from uh, is it Deborah Marshall? Yeah, Deborah Marshall, I think yeah. um, she put out a stat that any time the Royal Bonnock has died, uh, the cobblers always win the game after that. Um, oh, so again, again, you know, every you know cloud and all that. So it's not bad. So I might go with a two-one <laughs> win for the cobblers just because of that stat I saw earlier. I wasn't impressed with the first stat, but the second stat has put me in a more happier mood. Do you reckon if we lose it all might spend the end of the monarchy as we know it that within like 10 years the monarchy will be overthrown in a republic it might it might happen <laughs> revolution not. on the monday <laughs> uh what about you luke are you um ignoring those stats you know i've been optimistic for too long i'm gonna add a bit of pessimistic just to switch it up a bit i think the fact we don't beat them uh and the fact that that stats just come up just to jinx it i'm Oh, I actually don't know. I want to be optimistic, but I think we'll lose 1-0, personally. I don't know why. I have a feeling it's we got to lose uh, again at some point, and I just feel like this is a team who do beat us. And I think, especially after... Do any of you remember last year, that number 18 they had, who just ruined us? Yeah. I, yeah. You know, the reason you give that prediction, Luke, is because you're a Cobblers fan, and that's exactly what Cobblers will do. We'll, we'll all be optimistic for the game. We can we can walk over these. And that's we'll exactly my thinking. My thinking is yeah. everything suggests we win this game. Our league position... Um, the fact that they're going through a tough time, the fact that we'd never lose after a monarchy, after all this stuff, it just makes me think, no, that's just a recipe for disaster. It's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, enjoy the game, guys. We'll see you up at Six Rules on Saturday and then we'll tune about afterwards. Take it easy. All right, cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.